Welcome to the Business Influencer Podcast, where we will be interviewing and exploring the success stories of entrepreneurs, business leaders, senior policymakers, and getting insights from thought leaders around the issues of the day. We will be delving into and analyzing the latest news around tech, geopolitics, finance, global business, entrepreneurship, property, leadership, law, philanthropy, and life. This podcast is available on all platforms. But for those of you who prefer to watch, uh, we have the Natural Media YouTube channel. Please subscribe and you can watch all the interviews. Uh, you can also follow the show's updates on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. Please do leave a review as it helps to get the word out and about. Uh, my name is Ninda Johal. I am the co-founder of The Natural Group, the Signature Awards and co-publisher of the Business Influencer magazine. And I will be your host for the show. In this episode, I speak to founder and MD of Oxbridge, the award-winning Matt Jones, who has an extraordinary entrepreneurial journey in the world of education and tech. We speak about a range of issues, including exams, vocational training, the role of tech, and how all of this has changed during COVID. We get a fascinating insight into the world of education today, tomorrow, and the next decade. So let's pop over and discuss Amongst other things, what is the future of education in a digital world? Afternoon, Matt. Hi there, how are you? Yeah, it's, uh, it's warm. Uh, we're in uh, Birmingham, the Midlands. Um, and of course, I've known you for a while as the founder and the MD of award-winning Oxbridge. Now, what I do know is that you run a very successful enterprise here in the field of education but what makes you different it's online which I'm sure we'll talk about what happened during COVID so uh, before we sort of crack on around education and tech and, and so forth just give us an idea of how you ended up us chatting and how long have you been running this online venture of yours it's a great question. So, uh, yeah, Matt Jones, founder and MD of Oxbridge. We um, just give you a bit of background on Oxbridge yeah, yeah, yeah. first. So we're uh, we're about five years old, moving into our sixth year now. So we're pretty well established. We are essentially an online college. So we we mirror that traditional process of a, a red brick college, uh, and we've taken that online using some clever tech and some good old fashioned customer service. So we run a different. About two hundred and fifty different courses from A levels and GCSEs. Just had some great results there all the way through to professional qualifications in accountancy, bookkeeping, childcare, and everything in between. So that's a little bit about what we do. Um, we have been very fortunate that we've won quite a few awards recently for, for our service, um, and I'm sure we'll get onto that at some point. So so, so why education? Because look, look, look uh, education's been around for ages. It's, di- it's dominated by the usual players, the, the schools, you've got the colleges. Uh, and obviously you've got the universities, so it's pretty well documented. You've got the training providers, the private people who do it. So why this this space? What made you decide five years ago? And of course, it must have, we'll talk about the COVID in a second, but why why education and why, why, why digital? Great question. So I fundamentally believe that everybody deserves a chance to better themselves, irrespective of circumstance. So it was always born by that passion to just help people. Um, I think there's not enough of that that goes on in the world, and this was the little part that I could play in that. You're right, it's a, it's a huge industry. Um, learning education worldwide is about £45 billion okay. uh, pound industry. Okay. The online space is about four and a bit billion, so okay. still quite small in comparison, but it's a pretty disruptive space. So uh, that was one of the, the, the big interest for me is that it is such a turbulent space at the moment there's a lot of disruption going on and a lot of attention is now focusing on to the the, the term coined ed tech yeah uh, which right. i'm sure we'll talk about but yeah, yeah. Uh, that's that's very much the uh, the the focus for us here at oxbridge i'm gonna ask you a personal question here was this was this this venture into education linked to your own education experience or did you flunk them or did you do really well? Or why education? Why do you think, you know, something, it's, I want to get, you know, you could have done anything. Wow, we've got deep really quickly. So um, that's a really interesting question. I probably need to do a bit more soul searching to, to answer just that. Just wondering, properly. yeah, just wondering. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of my own education, I, I had a pretty vanilla upbringing. I, I didn't suffer, I didn't have a, a difficult childhood. I actually, probably, if anything, witnessed other people having those troubles. Okay. Um, so always looked from a point of thinking, well, 
why am I so fortunate? And I suppose at a young age, you always wonder, well, why me and, and why them? And, and why have we got this inequality? So I guess that, um, that's, a, that's part of it. I mean, certainly from my background, yeah, I went through GCSEs, um, did really well at those, went through my A-levels, failed them all first oh, time. Okay. Oh, yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Um, mainly because I thought that you didn't need to revise for these things. You know yeah. what it's like when you're yeah. young. You, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so uh, went through, went past those, uh, went off to uni and, 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 and went that way to very traditional upbringing, really. Didn't really enjoy school, okay. um, although I did okay. I think that's more of a, a personal thing. I, yeah, I just yeah. get on with it, get my head down and, you know, never really got that notice by teachers, etc. Just got the job done. I think that's, I've taken that all the way into my, my later life as well. And um, so, yeah, uh, I'd love to say it was driven by a story of where I was I no, yeah, know, I'm just fighting bears yeah. or something like that in my childhood. But no, I'm afraid not. It's it's probably more of a point of view that quite an empathetic person and just saw the struggle of others yeah. and thought, you know what, I can do something to help here. Why digital? Why not the traditional, tell you what, let's go and book a building and just start selling courses and hire some teachers. Absolutely. And, and do you know what, in hindsight, it would probably have been a bit easier. So um, I'll be honest with you, I'm a geek at heart. So, uh, you know, they say um, that geeks run the world these days. I'd like to think I'm sort of breaking my own way into that. But um, yeah, I think tech has always been a real big focus and a big interest of mine. So okay. I was the first kid in school to have a, a computer. So I learned to program on, um, I don't know if you remember, I'm sure you'll remember these, ZX Spectrum, yes. uh, 128K, used to get the, the programs out of a magazine and went on with it. You know, you'd spend literally all day typing these programs out and at the end of it, you'd end up with, I don't know, a few colours on a screen. So it was really, really challenging back then. You'd try and save it onto an old cassette or something like that and it wouldn't work and then you'd end up spending the next day redoing it and so I got into it quite early um, I was really fortunate that my parents ran their own business as well so we got a proper PC really early in the business as well so they could do their accounting so I got to fiddle around with that quite a bit uh, and very early on I used to take things apart um, okay. much to my parents dismay so they'd, they'd come back from a shopping trip or something and the phone would be in bits um, you know, I'd put it back together, but yeah, there'd be a screw yeah. missing. So, you know, and so I've just always had that interest in tech. So it naturally, everything that I get involved in, every venture, every business interest, and a lot of my hobbies actually are all based around tech of some description. So let's talk about the results then. Let's talk about the results. So you, you set this business up. And how many students are you getting through now, do you think, in a year? Circa around 10,000 a year at the moment. That's a lot of students. It's one or two. That's a lot of students. <laughs> Keeps us busy. And they all UK-based? No, they're not. So um, actually, we've got a growing uh, growing cohort that work internationally as well now. So our platform scales perfectly internationally. So although we, our primary focus has always been on the UK market, because we offer UK qualifications, yeah. there's a real interest around the world in good quality UK learning and qualifications. So... About 5% of our, our courses export. Um, our, our learning platform is all online. It's web-based. It's do it through a browser. So it's easy for anyone to get access to, to the Oxbridge service. And do most people that use your products, um, are they in employment? Are they, or it's a combination of employment? And I'm just trying to understand the GCSEs and A-levels. What, what would be these? What would these people look like? It's a really interesting and eclectic mix. Um, so we've, as you can imagine, we've spent ages trying yep. to figure out what our demographics look like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's best to serve them. And it's such an eclectic mix. I won't say we gave up, but we decided that we needed to approach it a different way. So I'll give you an example. Um, so our demographics that we deal with for A-levels as, as one example. So at this time of year, unfortunately, some people do fail yeah. um, A-levels and they're, they're relying on university places yeah. and, and, and that sort of thing. So we do deal with a lot of students at, at that age. Might be that traditional education just didn't work for those people as well. So actually some of, and especially now during COVID, which I'm sure we'll get on to, um, we found that people are, are homeschooling a lot more. Um, there's a massive, massive yeah. surge in, in homeschooling and that's great. So that's something that we can certainly help with. But what we're seeing uh, a big increase in at the moment are, are the are lifelong learners. So people that just want a challenge in life. And in fact, one of our oldest students, um, she's 94 and uh, she's been on an A-level, uh, sorry, a, a GCSE um, English literature course. 
Um, and a funny story, I digress, but the funny story about that one is we, we book an exam year for, for our students. And we said to this, um, this student, what year do you want to do your exams? And she said, well, oh, no, I don't, I'm not interested in doing exams. I just want to learn the course. Which, you know, so it gives you an idea about the, the, the breadth of, of type of student, really, which makes, makes it a bit of a headache for us, but it makes it really enjoyable at the same time. So the kind of people that study with you, then, are typically those people are other homeschooling. Uh, are doing it on top of maybe a, a job they're already doing. Um, is that right? Have I got that right? Something like that? And they wouldn't be in full-time, would they? Because they'd be at a college well, or... Well, they, they can be, actually, yeah. So there, there is a cohort of students that we help and we support local schools and colleges as well. Um, so perhaps uh, if you're a school that only has a few students on a, on a course, uh, we would jump in and, and help support with that offering. So it makes fin- uh, financial viability for them uh, at that stage. But I think what ties everyone up, and I think this might answer the question, is that we uh, we deal with people who are in the growth mindset. So these are people who are looking to better themselves. Okay, got it. You know, you you might be sixteen and not realise it yet, but if you're looking to to improve and uh, and build on yourself, you're in the growth mindset. Got it. Got it. Okay. So now let's go to the grades. Um, now tell me if I got this wrong, but somebody said forty two percent. Of people who took A levels got either a grade A star or a grade A. Best so, year so far. Yeah, yeah. So, but, so by implication, fifty percent of our population is very clever. <laughs> is that right? I've, I've, because if you follow the normal curve, the normal curve, the normal sort of most people sit in the middle. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, what you've done here is you're saying most people sit in the middle are. Grade A students, is that right? So, yeah, the national average this year was 45% of um, ARA star grades for, for A level. Um, at Oxbridge, we achieved 69% this year. Oh, wow, so, so you, did, you did better. We're, we're off the charts in terms of performance. Okay. So, I think what that tells me is that what we're doing works. Yeah. Um, we're still digesting the why of that at the moment and trying to figure out some of the nuances of that. Um, but certainly we've, we've invested a lot of time, a lot of effort, a lot of money in quality of course provision. Uh, and that's an ongoing challenge for us. But ultimately, we, we get judged on our results. And I think the results this year speak for themselves. So back to my question about the 42%. Is that a one-off because it's been marked by the, by the, by the teachers? And are we likely to see a fall next year or... If we go back to return, are we going to? What do you think? Well, I think this is probably one podcast by itself as a question. Um, I'll, I'll try and um, I'll try and answer this briefly. Uh, this is a subject I'm quite passionate about. So um, there is a lot of bad press about um, what they call TAGS, teacher assessed grades. Yeah. So and CAGS, centre assessed grades. So that's how during COVID. As a, as a college, we've had to assess students. They can't come in for an exam, so we've had to figure out another way. Yeah. And that other way has been based on their coursework. And okay. that relationship with their teacher or tutor has been much more important this year. Now, there's, um, in terms of the negative side of the press, the problems that we've had are that the press is saying, well, there's, there's all sorts of scope for um, foul play, cheating, etc., etc. Now, we sit on the opposite side of that and we sit having to feeling like we have to defend ourselves in that situation. Now, we know how much hard work and effort our students put into their courses and we know how much hard work and effort our tutors, teachers, faculty, staff put into our courses as well. And it's just rubbish. So, Quick question, what, what's a typical A-level grade instead of 42%, what is it typically? So on a normal year, um, yeah, normal year, you'd be looking sort of in the 30s, okay. still circa a third, so it's so a significant so increase. Let me ask you a question then. You're sitting here, four students walk in, all of them are grade A, all of them. They must Where's... have studied with Oxbridge. <laughs> but as previously, one out of four would have had grade A's. How are you going to distinguish? Are you sitting there saying to yourself... Uh, I don't know, I don't know about that. And because, because what you've got here now, you've got a problem here, because the truly brilliant student, the truly brilliant student who would have stood out, one in three would have stood out, now suddenly finds that actually those who possibly in another year wouldn't have got grade A's. Am I making sense? Very much so, yeah. Am I making sense? I, so, I mean, so, you... so it doesn't seem to be very fair. And, and by the way, before I, I do say, 
I think it's been tough for all the students. So I think, you know, I, I do applaud them for working hard and getting through that tough period. So don't Absolutely. get me wrong, but I'm, I'm just thinking from an employer's perspective, does this muddy the waters? Great question. And I think the the thing to mention here, I mean, there's so many moving parts within this, uh, this question. Um, let me maybe pose a couple of rhetoricals back to you, which would be, perhaps students just don't get on very well with exams and that's the big question here that actually perhaps the grades have improved because students just can't handle the stress of exams and it's been well documented for years and years that exams aren't a very good way of testing people good point at the moment they are still seen as the best metric for testing now i have to say i don't agree with that so my stance is that there's much better other ways of testing students without that everything rides on two hours that's a that's a, a big thing. Um, I hated my exams. In fact, actually, my GCSE maths exam, the fire alarm went off halfway through, and we were given the option to go home. I'll be honest, I went home. Um, but, <laughs> yeah, so... Um, and still passed. Um, I don't advise anyone does that. I should have stayed a bit longer, and I should have got the A that I was supposed to get, but hey-ho. Um, so, exams are tough, and not everyone... In fact, the, the majority of people fare better in non-exam conditions. Um, And what are we really testing in exams? Are we testing knowledge retention? Because that's not learning to me. So there's a whole, probably another podcast on this. But um, yeah, I I do think that my general feeling, there are a lot of factors at play here, but my general feeling is actually students have probably done better because they've been more comfortable. Now that relationship that they've had with their tutor or teacher is a long one. It's been going on for 12, 24 months. That tutor knows their work. It, they know the standard of writing, etc., etc. And actually, the the ability for them to perhaps cheat, which is what the you know what the press are suggesting, is not. It's probably not that big an issue in the grand scheme of things because there are methods in place that we can use to test for that. There's um, uh, well, I won't tell you all about yeah, them, yeah. but there are and. They have a personal relationship with their, their tutor or teacher and they recognise that work. They know when someone else has written that work. So, so, so the problem I see, and we are going to move on, uh, we don't want really to get too deep into it, is you're going to come to a space where it's no longer A star, it'll be A star plus 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 and A star plus 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 plus. A bit like the hotel's seven star plus. Anyway, um, just another uh, quick question before we sort of finish that off. Uh, you make a brilliant point, and, and I just want to pick that up, on how we learn and how we get tested on our learning. So I remember, um, shows my age, um, people would admire you for your numeracy, how quick you could work out times tables. That's right, yeah. Then a school of thought said, well actually, why keep hammering that away when it's quicker for someone to just pick up a calculator? So let the calculator do that and you concentrate on taking them to another place. So in other words, if the tools are there, why replicate the tools, just take them across? Now, so because that's reality. So, so if you're, and you know this, if you're running a business, your decision will be based on how quick you can get on Google, do your research, make a few phone calls, understand how the market's working, and then just go with it. It's almost like an assessment, isn't it? Because you're assessing that process. Absolutely. Whereas exams don't do that, you see. Exams is a, a, a one linear question, and you've got to answer that question. So I'm with that argument. I can see that argument, which is that exams, or whatever you want to call them, forms of assessment, should marry what's happening outside. And I'll give you one other final one, and we'll move on. Um, people working in project teams at colleges and schools. Now, some will say, well, the outstanding student might end up doing all the work, and the other's right on the tail of it. Others would say, but actually, you've put the students in a real-world situation, which is, there's the four of you, and if you're going to get on in life, you're going to have to work with people, and you're going to have to work with teams. So anyway, that was just, I'm, I'm picking up what you said, which was, Absolutely. you know, which is, you know, is this, is this the right way forward? And, and maybe, well, maybe COVID is sorted, maybe? 
Well, going back to the calculator analogy, so it's all very well and good using a calculator these days, but if you look at an answer and you don't know whether that's roughly right or wrong, then I think that's the big problem. And that's very yeah. much the analogy of, um, yeah. you know, yeah. are we testing knowledge retention yeah. or are we testing an ability to learn and adapt? And, and apply. Absolutely. So if the number says 63, what does that 63 actually mean? Not should, should it have been 6.3? Yeah. You know, it's that yeah. kind of... Okay, great, great. Uh, quick question then, uh, and, and we'll move on to... Uh, bit about what happens here how difficult was it to set up a business online was it easy was funding easy did people say you're off your rocker how <laughs> I mean, people still it? say I'm off my rocker Ninda but uh, I don't think it's about setting up a business so um, is it easy um, is any business easy no does doing business in a um, in a well set up um, well established business look easy to the outside world Absolutely. It's that, you'll know this as well, it's that whole iceberg analogy, isn't it? So 90% of an iceberg sits below water. And that's all the, you know, the late nights, sleepless nights, a lot of hard work. And the ups, the downs, the trials, the tribulations, you get into work and at, at whatever time it is, something slaps you in the face. And, you know, it's, it's that, it, it's never linear. It's always a very windy path. And so is it easy? No. Do I enjoy it? Yeah, absolutely. Would I do anything else? Couldn't do anything else. So I think it's, I suppose it's all subjective. Um, I'm sure you enjoy doing business as well. And I think the, the enjoyment comes from the fact that it's, it's almost a hobby for me. So I, one of my hobbies is, is doing business and, and running a business. So can't imagine doing anything else feel like I'm probably unemployable at this stage anyway, <laughs> which I think you find a lot of founders are in that position yeah. once we've been doing it a little while. Um, yeah, so I think that comes as part and parcel of the personality. You have to be challenging. You have to be a challenger. Um, and I, I do, I, I'd fear any, uh, the job of any boss that I'd ever have in the future. I, I'm not sure I could do it anymore. And, and when you set up, did you look at the marketplace, look at the potential and say, this is it, I'm going to go in here? And did you make any mistakes? Oh, lots of mistakes. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I my history of, uh, of business goes back a little bit further than Oxbridge, okay. quite a lot further than Oxbridge. So I've had other businesses in the past. Um, my business before Oxbridge was in the training space as well. Um, so that's given me quite a lot of insight into into learning as, a, as an industry and training. Um, with Oxbridge, I wanted it to be very different. Uh, so we, tr we set this business up from the ground up to be different to every other um, training provider. Very much a tech focus. That's the way we wanted it to um, to be set up. But really that, what we were really going for as a goal was the online college, an online college. Because if you look at the college space, you know, sort of um, FE space, further education, that's, there's no real big players that, you know, you've got your local colleges mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And so it's quite a, there's a lot of players in the industry, but no real sizable ones. If you look at universities, so you look at HE, then you've got people like Open University, biggest university in the country by a long way. And their results speak for themselves. They do a fantastic job. So I'm not saying that we're, we're trying to be like them. It's a different space, absolutely. And actually we're a very complimentary yeah, business to yeah, them. Yeah. We feed students into them regularly. So that was kind of along the lines of the model. Now, Open University have had to work so hard over so many years to overcome that whole oh, online university thing, which is, of course, the, the, the problem that we get as well. well is it the same? If, you, if we're doing it online, is it the same? Absolutely, it's the same. It's the, the same exams or not exams as the case may be this <laughs> year. And, and everything, the qualification at the end is identical. No one would know the difference. It's just the method in which you've chosen to do it is, is different. So if somebody's sitting in front of you, um, I'm sorry, before I go, mistakes, any mistakes? Oh, loads. Um, so what mistakes would I have made? I think generally I give people the benefit of the doubt a bit too much. So um, I think it's for you <laughs> Somebody to... spoke about that yesterday. Oh, interesting. Well. Yeah. So I think I take people at face value um, until you prove me wrong. So yeah. um, I know a lot of people do it the opposite way and actually have to build up a lot of trust. But I find that takes... That's a lot of time and effort, um, so I generally trust people um, working on that one. So that's um, that's certainly and certainly one. Before I pick the second one up, so I was speaking to another entrepreneur, and he said exactly the same as yeah. you. 
He said, I assume that the person sitting opposite me, I assume positivity rather than negativity. Because if I go negative first and assume everybody's a scoundrel, <laughs> he says, then I'll never develop because those opportunities will never come because I'll dismiss everybody and everything. Exactly, that's right. So yeah. he seemed to endorse, that, which means that entrepreneurs tend to be, the growth mindset, tend to be more open, a lot more accommodating, a lot more risk-taking because they know that some of these things won't work. But that seems to be what you're... So some would argue it's a mistake, but some might say it's a great attribute to have. I think it, it works both ways, clearly. If it goes right, it goes very right. And if it goes wrong, it can go very wrong as well. So, um, yeah, I think it's... Um, it's a really interesting point. I, I think the the challenge is knowing to where that balance sits. And having more wins than losses. Absolutely. Uh, losses, rather, yeah. And ultimately, it's about um, being statistical about it and, uh, you know, playing those numbers to an extent. So where do you think education is going? Where do you think it's going in terms of, you know, digital? And, and we heard, is it MOOCs? MOOCs where they thought everything yeah. would be yeah. free and, you know, where does education go into you in, in, in terms of the global? What's the direction? So MOOCs are an interesting one, massive yep. open online courses. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was supposed to be the next big thing. It was. Um, it never actually happened. No, didn't. Um, they still exist to an extent, um, and I think it's one of. Perhaps you want to describe what that is first. What is it? So For those who don't know. There, there are different explanations. This is the way I see it. Yeah. So it would be, a, you would open a course up and make it available to the whole world. So, Correct. you know, you take a lot of American universities, they love this concept. And I, I think it's a good concept, actually. So you can study a Harvard course without paying the Harvard fees. That's right. But you're not getting any of the Harvard support, of course, but you can get onto the, the course and ultimately become, at some point, a Harvard graduate, which is, which is amazing. Um, the issue is it's a totally different offering and scalability is the big issue on one of those uh, style courses. So do I think that... I think it's the, the fundamental start to something bigger. I don't think it's quite the right proposition. Um, but it's, yeah, MOOCs have been a very interesting one and one to watch. Where do I think education's going? I think tech is going to continue to play a big part in education. Um, I mean, we can get onto the whole, um, you know, inequality of access to tech, etc. And that is a big issue. And that's something that needs to be addressed. Um, my focus is on making making courses available to everyone, irrespective of background and circumstance. So I, I'm trying to work towards a point where our courses are available, uh, a great um, access fee, etc., cetera, um, so that everyone can get access. Now, one of my longer-term goals, and I'm happy to tell everyone this, is I'd love to build a school in Africa. Um, mm -hmm. That's, uh, I think, if I can afford to, we'll probably look at India as well as, a, as another one. Um, and perhaps a couple of other developing countries. Um, but that's certainly where the, the focus is going. Now, you take those developing countries, for example, nobody has a computer, but they all have a phone. They do. So, Africa particularly. Yeah, exactly. So Huge on online banking. Huge. That's it, exactly. Huge. So where online banking has gone into, you know, uh, African continent, then that's where I see learning going and making it accessible to, to people that wouldn't traditionally get an education. Is your growth predicated by the speed of technological development. So in other words, we're talking about 5G here, 6G and, and, and so forth. Is, is, are, you, are, you, yeah, are you sitting here waiting for those things to happen? Are they, are they the main drivers? In other words, you're relying on your growth on the development of technology. Do you know Does that what? make sense? Yeah, sitting here in Birmingham, UK, you don't really feel those pinches. I think we're really lucky in this area. We were a 5G testbed. We've had 5G before 5G was known by most of uh, most of the population, uh, and it was brilliant, and it still is brilliant. Um, and in fact, part of our office runs on 5G. So um, 5G has been fantastic. I know you have a, a big involvement as well. Um, so it's a really interesting prospect. Actually, some of the technical, I won't bore you guys with this, but some of the technical aspects to 5G are really, really interesting. And the, the, the points for things like manufacturing um, and that endpoint processing is really interesting. Um, in terms of education, we are 15 years behind the, the rest of the tech sector. I think COVID's really helped, so that's pulled people forward in terms of what's available. Um, perhaps two years ago, you wouldn't have thought to do a video conference for learning. Yeah. You wouldn't have thought to do online testing. You wouldn't have thought really um, to do online courses per se. What you would have thought when you had to do an online course 
that you're going to go and do your health and safety training that is mandatory at your company and it is a, a two hours of the most boring experience of your life now we really wanted to make sure that what we offer here isn't like that and uh, that has been a passion of mine for a long time so just getting away from the whole boring e-learning thing and so we, we we've worked really hard on that but uh, in terms of tech we find learning because there's not so much as an industry we don't have a lot of motivation we're trying to disrupt that but there's not a massive amount of motivation in the industry to push the boundaries and um, i feel like companies like ours organizations like oxbridge are trying to push forward um, and, and bring everyone else with us now during covid we have helped numerous schools and colleges with their online offering and it's great I think the, the downside of that is we're seeing it very roll back now and people are coming away mm. from that space. And it's such a shame. So I do hope it continues. The reason I ask about technology driving your model is I was speaking to somebody who lives in the rural area. Mm. Forget 5G, I think they can barely get 2G. <laughs> Absolutely, and, and, yeah. And so there's a huge part of the UK market that just can't get access to your products. Is, is, is that right? Have I got that right in it? And, and to what extent? Are you yeah. relying on the big players, the tech players, to get you to where you need to get to? It's a really good observation, actually. So, yeah, rural broadband, it's renowned for being terrible. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, in the UK, we're not as bad as other countries, but um, it is still pretty poor. We've got Starlink here now, so the satellite internet. Um, I know it's still pretty expensive, but it is a solution. Um we always try to build our courses uh, and our offerings so that it would run on the minimal possible bandwidth. So we've always had that in mind, actually. Um, so that's always been the the focus to make sure that we're not um, offering massive bandwidth courses. So, we, you know, we wouldn't necessarily offer 4K video, uh, for example. If you're sitting here in 5G, you can have 4K every day. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it is a challenge. Uh, and it's something that, unfortunately, yes, you are right. We are relying on that wider tech scene. So here's the big, broad picture, then. Is it possible that we would never have a thing called a university in the future? Wow. Um, could, that, could that ever happen? Could we, in 20 years' time, be learning in ways we can't even think about at the moment? I think that's a really um, philosophical question, actually, Linda. So um, I think 20 years, probably, we will still have universities. Okay. Um, however, the way that um, this material is delivered will be different uh, and very different actually so if you look at take Google um, big one of well the biggest company in the world I think the second biggest now aren't they alphabet yeah. so what makes them special well they now require you to have Google qualifications to go and work for Google so you don't as far as I'm aware you don't actually need another qualification you just have to go and take the Google exams do the Google learning and you're straight into working for Google. Now where that allows you to port, I don't know, um, you know, could you then go and get a job at Apple, for example, with those qualifications? Unlikely at this stage. So I think what we will start to see is the emergence of um, in-work style learning, a little yeah. bit like Google are leading the way with. Yeah. Um, it worries me about how fragmented that might be. I mean, you take, um, you know, Apple and PC, they never work together properly. And that's what worries me about the whole, are we going are we commoditizing learning? And that's a bit of a worry for me. And fragmenting it every step. Exactly, yeah. Everything. So at the moment, we're really looking, especially in the UK, that we have a really coherent education system. We've got certain levels of qualification, certain types of qualification, and everybody knows where they stand. I'm all for vocational style learning. In fact, that's most of what we do here. Um, but it needs some restraints and it needs to be done properly. So in other words, you're saying we can't have a crypto-style education system where anybody can do whatever they want, whereas crypto, because of the currency, the banks don't want to do it, the central government don't want it because they can't control it. They can't control. So that's what yeah. you're saying. We still need a level of control so everybody understands the currency of what they're buying when it comes to education. I think control is a dangerous word. Um, I think, for me, it's about having consistency. So uh, you're right, you know, that, that whole um, blockchain style-esque um, of the totally decentralized experience. Yeah, that's, it's not something I've given much thought to really, but yeah, very much so, that's certainly possible. We would just need to have some way of keeping consistency. So that if you've done a course in XYZ, you can port that over to another job and it's recognized everywhere. And that's the point that we go back to with Google, is will their courses be recognized everywhere? And I suspect not at the moment. Great way of uh, retaining uh, employees, though.
and, and having control over what you're developing. Mm. It's, yeah. That's right. Okay, so moving on. So I, 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 I think we, well, let's just leave it to imagination. I mean, I can just see people from the age of 11 deciding blocks of where they want to study, how they want to study, who they want to study with, flip between careers, flip between Google and Apple, go and do a bit of their study. Go, it could become a totally flexible, innovative, you know, because at the moment it's mapped out, isn't it? From uh, three, zero to five, you're in reception. From five to 50 or 16, you're in primary. Then you go into secondary. Then you go into, it's all pretty well documented. But could you imagine after the age of 11, you could do anything you want. It's a, it's pick, a fascinating concept. Pick any, any subject, go to anywhere you want and halfway flip it and go somewhere else. You collect credits or whatever it is and you pause, go and do something and you pick it up again and it's revised because curriculum has been revised because Google know what they're doing and Apple know what they're doing. Because the problem at the moment, my last comment, is people say they do their degree three years later to a date. Well, and if you rewind that back to school, um, did you learn a language at school, a, a foreign language? You know, I can't even remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, and that, that then supports my next part of that question, which is, have you ever used that language? I did before? French. Okay. Didn't do a very good job, clearly. <laughs> so, I think the point being there is that, so did I, I studied French and German at school, and I don't believe I've really used either of those languages. Now, that was a decision that was made for me. That was part of my um, experience at secondary school. Now, I would find much more use out of other languages and have needed to learn other languages in order to get on in life. And um, French and German, I've never used, not saying that they're bad languages at all, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, they were less useful to me in my circumstances. Last question, because I do want to move on to culture and employees okay. and everything. Um, so an observation is, and you understand this, you're an entrepreneur, but an observation is the way maths is taught is irrelevant. And, and people say to me, I'd rather work out Somebody taught me, this is your income, this is where your outgoings are, this is where your incomings are, this is what you're going to have to pay, this is something called VAT, this is called income tax. And they'd rather have relevant life work experience, maths, because I think they'd grab onto it much quicker than learning example, Pythagoras theorem. <laughs> and it's the most common example, isn't it? Old Pythagoras theorem, when have you ever used that? When have you ever used um, that? I think it's... I think it's teaching you a certain skill set. So I do agree, actually. Um, but it, it, what it's teaching you is a certain set of um, logical steps. Yes. And I think that's what I particularly like with maths. I, I studied maths up to quite a high level. And what it taught me is to be quite logical in my yeah. approach. Yeah. So if you take the maths element away from that, actually my, the approach to solving a problem... Quadratic equations. Exactly, yeah. Both sides yeah. of the equation, what you need to do to make it all... Yeah. Exactly. Agreed. So, so I think it teaches you, on balance, different things. I think, should it be in more context? Absolutely. Should we be teaching life skills in school? Absolutely. And we, we just don't at the moment. It's, it's a shame. Because we've got whole generations now of people that haven't got a clue how to look at a credit rating and things like that. And that, that just seems... It seems like the, the the modern world has moved on, but we've not caught up with the way we're teaching. Right, so I'm now going to put you on the spot here again. So basically what you do here, and most education systems do, is they measure you by your IQ. Now, when you interview someone here for a job, do you look at their IQ or do you look at their EQ? Oh, wow. Okay. So um, we're referring to emotional intelligence here, Absolutely, aren't we? Absolutely, yes. Um, so... I think it's a bit of both here. So I have a very specific interview process. Okay. Um, it doesn't matter what organisation I was with, I would still do it this way. And I guess that comes from a few years of, of doing probably a thousand plus interviews in my life. So I've definitely done quite a few. So what am I looking for? My interview process runs in three, three parts. So I have, of course, you get the CV on your desk. You know, they, they've applied for a job and you have a, a very quick skim. Um, what am I looking for? Am I, I'm looking very quickly for can this person do, if they've got the skill set on paper to do what they need to do. If they have, great, let's meet them. Now I prefer to meet people face to face. I think it's it, it gives away so much more. You're looking at body language mm. and the nuances, eye contact, handshake, all that stuff that you can't get over a phone call. So I like people to come in and meet us. And as you can probably see, we've got quite a nice office as well. Yeah, so yeah. it's good for people to come and get absorbed in our culture. What am I going to talk about in that first interview? I'm not going to have a CV with me. I'm going to talk to you about you. And I want to find out more about you as a person. What's driving you? What motivates you? 
what are your beliefs and what I'm really looking for at that stage is a culture fit so could we spend eight hours plus a day together and that's that's initially what I'm looking for yes that might come onto a work context um, and sometimes you do you do have to touch on those things and people expect it as well uh, but we will have a really short 20 or 30 minute chat to, to start with we'll then do some psychometric testing so what I'm looking for is, um, and this is a separate thing to this, this discussion, what I'm looking for there is what you just told me, real, and is this what you're, are you, are you trying to kid me or not? Because uh, you only have to listen to this podcast and you understand now what I'm looking for. So I'm looking to test the reality of that. Then what we do is we get you back in for a, a proper, what you would, exp- you would know as a proper interview. You'd be, we'd be looking at talking to you about skills, how it applies to working here, and, and more traditional type stuff there. And that's enough for me. That, um, that's how it works. And I think you can glean a lot from that first conversation. So it kicks off with IQ, but then you get into the EQ and try and see how they work in a team and how it all comes together. Exactly. That's right. So, um, so now, I mean, I mean, I said I've been a few times. It's a nice, funky-looking place. Um, so you obviously placing a lot of emphasis on culture you've just said eight hours they've got to spend there so they've got to enjoy it. so what does leadership mean to you then what, what what do you see your main role in running this place and as an entrepreneur what, what does leadership mean to you it's another podcast on its own again isn't it we um so we for me leadership is about providing an environment where um People can learn. Uh, you can probably hear it's getting quite noisy in the background. Yeah, actually, yeah. I'm sorry about that. That's um, all right. We uh, that's part of our culture. Yeah, it's fine. Um, so what we're what leadership means to me is all about providing a, a really encouraging, motivating environment where people feel like they want to be here. They feel like they know what is expected of them. They know where the end goal is, and they know what they need to do. Um, what it's not about is it's not about a strict management, a micro, uh, you know, really looking closely at people. What I'm interested in is providing environment and honestly stepping out of the way. And these guys are much more intelligent than I am and they know what they're doing. So why, if we've got these fantastic people, why do I need to tell them what to do? They should be telling me. How did you feel about delegating? Was that difficult? Delegating, I'm terrible at, Linda. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, and, and this is one of my own failings. So, okay. uh, as as an entrepreneur, I I love to get my hands dirty. So, I yeah, you know the you know the task. So, I really like to get involved, and I for years I've I've struggled with that, and I, I've tried to soul search and figure out well, is this sustainable? Is this scalable? And I think the answer is yes. Um, I have to be quite controlled in how I do it. So delegating, it's a work in progress for me. So um, I'm getting better at it, uh, but I do still like to get my hands dirty because I think it teaches you so much about various things. You know, sometimes, and it's not very often anymore, um, but the phone will be ringing in here at Oxbridge and I'll pick the phone up um, and you wouldn't have a clue that you were talking to me. So it's, I think it's about keeping you close enough to the coal face that you still understand the business um, but keeping far enough away that actually you're doing what's required of you as an MD. And I think there's a, there is a very fine balance there. I noticed during COVID we stayed in touch quite regularly and, and you seem to be running a normal ship from what I could see. Yes. Was that the case or, or did you have to adapt your leadership style because certain people didn't want to come in? And how did you deal with that? So COVID has been, you know, that... It, it's been a horrible time for everyone. Nobody's had what they were classed as a normal experience. So what we tried to do is be as sympathetic to that as possible. But ultimately, as a you know business owner and the MD here, I've got to think about keeping this business alive. And that's a, that's a big challenge in its own right. Every, I totally get that everyone else has had that same problem. So we were very fortunate, being a tech-based business, that um, on that fateful Friday when we all got told we needed yeah. to go and isolate, yeah, yeah. we literally picked up our laptops and went home. Um, I don't think if you were a, you know, you were an alien looking outside in, that difference from Friday to Monday, you wouldn't have seen a difference in the way that Oxbridge operated. I think that comes a lot from my tech background, so we always wanted it to be... Well, where that actually came from is we... It, it was from a fire safety point of view, actually, that what happens if the burning, the, the building burns down? What are we going to do? And the, the solution was, well, as long as we've got laptops, we can do pretty much everything. So the phone system runs on our laptops. And 
we don't need anything else. We just need an internet connection and a laptop. So that set us in really good stead, actually. And that was a brilliant decision, if I do say so myself. So we were very, very fortunate. Now, I totally get that most of the businesses were not in that position. So we were lucky that we could do that. Uh, I think from my sort of giving side, we then jumped onto our contacts and our network and just checked in with everyone and said, look, are you okay? Is there anything we can do to help? Um, and we did. We did help quite a few other businesses as well just to get back into that online position. And, and did you find, and then we're going to close this off, um, did you find, what did you find out about yourself during that COVID? Did you have to think, oh, I've had to change this and this. What did you find out about yourself? Oh, I found out a few things, actually. Um, yeah, I don't work well from home um, at okay. all. Okay. I'm terrible at decorating. Okay. Um, and... I, I quite like being in the office environment. I like being around uh, everyone in the office. And I think that's a really fortunate place to be, actually, is where you want to spend time in your, your work environment. Do you think um, do you think we'll ever go back to normal, or do you think hybrid's here to stay? I, um, I think it's we're at risk with this whole work-from-home thing, yeah. um, that it seems like such a tantalising prospect. Um, now you don't have to spend much time with me to realise that I'm not a big fan of working from home yeah. however I do totally get that other people do they find it a better better place and I think it's that balance and I think it's a tantalising prospect to do away with offices save the money have everyone working from home and I think it's a risk long term actually uh, as a general feeling I think it's a risk and the risk is you look at I mean there's, there's multiple ones but you look at productivity it is harder to work from home. There are more distractions. It's just personal opinion. Some people will say the complete opposite, that it can work better from home. I think that the challenge lies, especially in a business like Oxbridge, where we have a customer-facing team and we have a, in the background, project-based team. Now, the project teams, they all work from home no problem at all because their, their work is piece by piece, happy days. Customer-facing teams are all reactive, so we have to be there when our customers are. Yeah. And, and that's the biggest challenge for working from home for me, is that how do you how do, you do that in a, in a home environment? Last two questions. Firstly, how important is mindset? Mindset. And I ask that question because during your journey, there must have been some dark moments. I think there's, there's dark moments for everyone. I think, um, look, here, here's, a, here's an example, uh, and this hit me recently, actually. So um, someone I went to school with, um, we had a, a mini reunion, and someone, oh, you're so lucky, Matt, you, you, you know, you're lucky position. And at the time, I just agreed with that, and, but it, it started playing on my mind, and I, I thought to myself, well, I'm not really lucky. Um, what... What it is, is I'm fortunate, incredibly fortunate. I'm in a great position in that respect. But I've worked hard for this. And the other thing they said to me, oh, you, you know, you don't need to worry about mortgage or anything like that. Well, maybe not. But I've got to worry about 45 other mortgages that are sitting out in this office. Yeah, yeah, and so I have a totally different problem. My problem is, you know, I'm not in control of that. But okay, I guess I am to an extent. But, you know, that's other people's lives that we're playing with here. And so I think the... the, the, the Mindset is a big thing, and, and for any leader, big thing. And you have to be in the right frame of mind, but you have to be reflective enough to be able to sit back and think, whoa, okay, why am I acting the way I am now? I need to adjust myself. Right, I'm doing it, I'm acting like this because of this this reason. Okay, I know that now, and I can go and tackle it differently. I'm not a big fan of knee-jerk reactions. I like to just have a think about things and, 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 and process and then move on with things. I know people do it different ways, that's, that's fine. But mindset is everything. I'm a very resilient person uh, and a very determined person. So, um, I, 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 yeah, quite competitive. Final question. From mindset means you need to, you know, you, you start to forecast what the future looks like. So, so what's the future for you? Really good question. So future for me, I'm, re I'm happy doing what I'm doing at the moment. Um, so I think we're, we're in a position at the moment where we're starting to feel like we're coming out of... Yeah. Um, these restrictions now and I think we need to start thinking about what the next steps are so next steps for me um, is to continue growing Oxbridge we've got so much more to do here we've got a lot of really interesting stuff in the pipeline actually so watch this space over the next 18 months um, and hopefully we get back to doing some sort of travel which would be be really nice because it's one of my hobbies uh, just a quick one you're 
You actually invest in early startups, don't you? I do, yes, yeah. And, and, and the logic of that, I'm just wondering if that's part of your plan going forward to do more of that. Yeah, I, I guess I guess on the surface it seems like a distraction. And um, the reason that I do that, so I, I get involved in angel investing, and the reason I do that is because it allows um, a backwards analytical side. So what I'm looking at is I'm starting to look at other businesses and I, I'm reviewing what that business looks like and I'm looking at it from a, an external point of view. So spend all day every day doing strategy, forecasting, etc. here in, in Oxbridge. But it's really nice to look at another business and say, okay, that's that's how those guys are doing it. And actually, here are the numbers. We can have a look at some forecasts and we can see various other things and looking at it from an external point of view. So it completely shifts the mindset. And I think it's just, it's partly a hobby and it's partly to keep me sharp from another angle. Yes, it does keep you sharp. And, and, and while we're doing that, before I'm just flicking through the magazine, because you wrote a great piece in there. I've, I've on the got the magazine in front of me here business, as well. Yeah, Business Influencer magazine. It's, it's a great <laughs> piece. I'm trying to find the page number. Um, so, so while you just said that, and I was about to finish, but it's just prompted me to ask you another question. Um, you're, you're, you're a tech entrepreneur. Uh, you don't really deal face-to-face -face with customers. So, 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 so why do you need to network? Networking for me, um, yes, I think, you know, if you look at traditional networking, I think the, the 10, 15 years ago, what was that about? That was buying and selling, you were doing deals. Whereas I think more modern networking is actually just about meeting people. Now for me, um, it's really great to go to events and just to meet people that are doing similar things, have similar challenges. And actually through that process, I met loads of really, oh, I've met you, so <laughs> loads of really nice people. So. It's nice to be with people that are in the same boat. Now, I guess I approach networking slightly different to other people. So I'm really just looking for you know people to talk to and find out about what people do. Don't really go with the anticipation of getting anything from it. And I think that puts me in an, a good position because actually you're just learning from people and I'm a, a big fan of learning. So for those of you who are looking uh, to go on the website, the Business Influencer or the magazine, great article the question you ask is is ai artificial intelligence coming for teachers um because you say as a society we're producing and capturing quote an incredible amount of data about ourselves Matt, thanks for the time uh, thank I think, you for i think an, an hour was blown away and there was lots of other stuff i wanted to ask you but we've run out of time but thank you very much for taking out time to see us and by the way the cup of tea was superb <laughs> you're very welcome made by someone better than me thanks <laughs> thanks for having me Hope you enjoyed uh, this episode and if so please do leave a review it all helps in promoting the podcast oh and by the way have a great day